You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Well, welcome again this morning. I'm really excited to bring you a word in our Hope and Healing series. I think this has really been an encouraging series for me, and I hope it has for you. If you've missed any of it, I just want to say go back online and check out uh, our videos. It's all on YouTube, and really, I believe it's going to speak to you. We've been saying we believe over these next five weeks that the Lord is going to bring hope for your future and healing from your past. And I feel like this has come at a really unique time and unique season, uh, kind of wherever you fall on the spectrum of emotions and feelings surrounding coronavirus and surrounding uh, shutdowns and quarantine and whatever's happening, we could all kind of agree that this is really unique when it comes to our lives. And it's probably one of the more unique seasons of ministry I've ever had. There's things they cover uh, when you're you know, getting degrees and going to church school and pastor school, and uh, how to pastor through a pandemic is not one of them, but I can guarantee you someone is going to teach an elective on this in the next five years for sure. Uh, but it's been really unique. Uh, I, I, I've been in ministry now for over 10 years, and it was crazy to kind of reflect back on that number as I think about it. It's coming up on, on 11 years that I've been in ministry. I started ministry the week after uh, I came back from my honeymoon. I started in full-time ministry, not volunteering. Basically, full-time ministry is when they pay you nothing for doing what you're doing for free, but you just work for like 80 hours. And uh, so I, I've been doing that for uh, 11 years almost, and it's crazy to, re- to reflect on that and think of it. Man, I I look back at those times and I and I think on those times and 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 how they were and how they were unique. You know, when I was a youth pastor uh, and when I started, it was youth and worship. And when I started, all the youth pastors uh, kind of start this way. I was in a closet basically in the basement of the building. And all of the church leadership was up at like a nice office building. And me and another guy who was part-time, we were in the basement next to like the circuit panel in some weird room that one of the youth kids spray painted. And uh, we would have all these kids just come in because I didn't want to work in this basement by myself. So all these youth kids would just kind of like come through and hang out. And they would. these were the kind of kids that really, if they weren't here doing this with us, they would be somewhere else causing trouble. Like a good portion of my like close youth students were the youth students that like didn't make it on someone else's list. Like when we got new youth leaders, these were the students that the new youth leaders were like, I don't know if I can be a youth leader and do this, right? These were the students that I had. And so these kids would come and hang out with us. And, you know, at the beginning of my ministry career, you know, I'm, I'm 22 years old and I'm, you know, just hanging out and these kids are all hanging out. We're working on a closet trying to clean it out and trying to get stuff out. And there was one kid, I don't know, you don't have to be in ministry to know this kid, but every person knows a kid like this. A kid that is so good at getting hurt. Where, like, you know this kid. There is like a supernatural spiritual gifting at injury. Like if there, if someone's going to get hurt, it's going to be that one kid. Like you pack an extra first aid kit because you know. And so this kid is walking around and he's holding this uh, long metal uh, ducting pipe. It's like sheet metal rolled into a tube, and it's it's you know about yay long and and it's about that wide. And he's blowing into it. <laughs> as he goes along. And as he's walking with this thing up against his mouth, 
he hits something. I'm not in the room, so I don't know, but he hits something, and it smashes up against his face super hard. Like, he's running with it, and the sharp edge smashes up against his face. Now, if you're not good with blood, I'm not going to tell you how it looked, but it looked bad, is how I would say. Like, there was a lot of the thing that rhymes with mud all over the place, right? Like, it was rough in this region of his face. And he, you know, he's like not crying, but he's doing that like hurt moan that you do when you're hurt, but you, you're not crying. You're just like in shock. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, like there's, you know, s- stuff everywhere for those who are squeamish. And I'm like, we got to call your parents, man. We got we to gotta get you to the hospital. And he goes, well, uh, we can call my mom. So I say, okay. So we call his mom. His mom uh, is working. She can't pick up the phone. I'm like, all right, dude, we got to take you to the hospital. I knew enough to be like, where can your insurance allow us to take you? And so the insurance said, oh, you can take him to this hospital. And so we get him in the car. We take him to the hospital. And there's me at 22 and my wife and this 15-year-old kid. And we take him into the hospital. And they say, hey, all of the computers are down. I'm like, oh, Lord, give me strength. And so I'm like, okay, we got to get this kid a a room or else I'm just going to leave him here with you to bleed everywhere. Of course, I wasn't going to do that, but they didn't know that. And so finally they get us into a room and they sit him down and they kind of clean him up and they look at him and they say, listen, you're going to need stitches. And I want to explain to you, but it was pretty obvious he was going to need stitches and a lot of them. I said, you're going to need stitches. And we're like, okay, let's do it. You know, numb him up. Let's just, (laughs) let's, let's go. And they said, no, 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 we can't numb him. And then they looked at me and they said, you're going to have to hold him down. I'm like, I'm sorry, (laughs) what? And they said, yeah, we can't numb him and he can't move, so you have to numb him down. And in that moment, him and I made like the most intense eye contact you can make with a human being where you kind of like both know a decision has to be made and you both hate it, right? And he looks at me. And he, he's afraid, right? He's terrified, right? He's a 15-year-old kid, and here we are, and, and they tell him, hey, man, we can't numb your face. We're just going to have to stitch you up as it is, and he's going to have to hold you down. And in that moment, I kind of put one hand on his, on his chest, and he reaches up and holds onto my other hand. And so I have one hand on him and one hand I'm holding his hand. And as I'm looking him in the eyes, I have this weird flashback moment. You ever have that where, like, you're in one really intense situation, all of a sudden you have this other, like, really intense memory? And I have this, like, little flashback of when I was a kid and I was in a hospital. And I had, uh, had to go to the hospital because I cut my hand open uh, because I decided that I th- it was a good idea to cut a frozen bagel with a steak knife in my hand. And you can guess that the knife won and the bagel lost, and I also lost, and the bagel got thrown away. But my dad in the hospital, I kind of flashed to this moment of my dad holding my hand as they were going to have to stitch me up and stitch my hand up. And he said to me, he said, I'm here. No matter what happens, I'm here. And I just, it was so ingrained to me. It was just so in my mind. And so here I am now holding this kid and holding his hand. And I look at him and I say to him, I'm here. No matter what happens, I'm here with you. And, like, I, I'm not his dad, 
I'm just some 22-year-old kid who, who's trying to help and, and love and be there for this kid, and I'm just modeling what I have seen. And so I hold him, and I look at him, and I'm like, listen, man, you can, I mean, they're going to stitch your mouth, so you can't say anything, but afterwards, you can swear at me. We can fight in the parking lot. You can kick me. You can, like, punch me while this is happening, whatever. As long as you don't move, we can do whatever you want, but I'm here for you. And I'm not going anywhere, no matter what happens. And so I remember that moment. I think I'll always remember that moment of holding this kid's hand as they start stitching up his face. And he reaches with his hand, and he grips my hand so tightly that his nails start breaking the skin of my hand. I'm, like, bleeding because this kid is gripping my hand so tight. And I didn't know that that was possible, but it is. But there was this weight to that moment. I don't know if you've, never, if you've ever had a moment that you just, you'll never forget. There was this weight to this moment because I, I, I recognized a chasm that existed between me and this kid. Is that in this moment, I was flashing back to the modeled identity of my earthly father so that I could model it to a kid who, frankly, did not have that model in his life. There was a separation. When I flashed back to images of my father, they were a source of strength. And when he flashed back to images of his father, they were a source of pain. And so we saw them infinitely different. And that was a struggle throughout a lot of his life as I walked through it, is that there was this different understanding of what was modeled of fatherhood. See, like this young man, many of you, fatherhood is just another F word. Flashbacks don't bring you strength in the situation. They bring you stress. Thinking of your birth, your earthly father, does not bring you to a place of peace. It brings you to a place of anxiety. Can I tell you, you're not alone? Church, we are a fatherless generation. For the past 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, more and more and more, we have been studying and trying to understand a fatherless generation because this fatherless generation that we are, almost regardless of your age, if you are alive right now, you are really part of this generation. This fatherless generation has wounds from their past and strong, strong worries for their future. The fatherless generation has deep wounds from our past and great worries about our future. Not only wounds from what's been done to us, but worries about what we're going to do to others. It's interesting. If you study the fatherhood or a fatherless generation, there's a, it's a massive cultural issue. Like I said, you are not alone in that. Uh, there's a book called Better Dad, Stronger Sons by Rick Johnson. And in it, he talks about how uh, men, young men especially, kids who come from fatherless homes are ten times more likely to struggle with poverty in their life. They're ten times more likely to be poor. They're two times more likely, they're twice as likely, right, to drop out of high school. In fact, 70% of men in prison come from fatherless homes, and this is what blew my mind even more, that 90% of men in prison, that, you know, as they're polling, they're working on a percentage, 90% of men in prison said they had no male role model or a extremely poor male role model. See, we emulate what we see. 
it's called generational choices, is that we emulate what's been handed down and we live in the situations that have been handed down to us and the hurt and the trauma and the pain. And so often we replicate trauma to others because we're just reproducing what we have seen. In it, he talks about young men, especially uh, young men with no male role model, no really good earthly father role model, struggle with confusion. And unfortunately, that confusion manifests as anger. We're a culture of angry young men who are actually just afraid. They're afraid of failing. Because it's humiliating to fail. And it's humiliating to fail when you don't have enough self-worth to know that you're worth it, to know that you're good enough, to know that you're valued. And so they're angry. Our, our young women are, are not uh, escaping this either, right? From fatherless homes, young women uh, studied, showed that they view themselves less. That they, when they come from a loving father, it builds a confidence, it builds self-esteem, it builds a good self-image. But in coming from a place where there is an unhealthy father presence, Young women struggle with feeling worthy, with feeling valuable. They struggle to trust men. They struggle in relationships. So they'll begin to test the man that they're in a relationship with. They'll pick fights to see how he'll respond, to test him. They'll find flaws to give themselves a way out if it gets too bad. They'll, they'll expect to be abandoned so they will be emotionally uh, distant, or they will be way over the top emotionally connected in an unhealthy way to compensate. See, a fatherless generation is not limited just to your earthly interactions. The greatest tragedy of a fatherless generation is that the fatherless generation struggles to understand God, the Father. Your perception of your earthly father will more often than not Decide your perception of your heavenly father. How you view your dad is how you will view God. So for some of you, when you think of God the father, it's amazing. Maybe it wasn't uh, your birth father, but somebody was that model or example for you. But for many of you out there watching all the way from Bangkok to Bellevue to Brooklyn, all the way here in Scottsdale, wherever you are. Some of you watching, you're saying, when I think of Father, there I think confusion, I think anger, and it does not make me want to turn to God. It makes me want to turn away from God. See, when you have not had that example of an earthly father, it is more difficult to believe in unconditional love from a father. How can you believe in unconditional love when you've never even experienced any love? I think of this young man uh, that, that I was with that I've spent years uh, in, in intense situations with in, in NA meetings and in hospitals and, you know, all kind of hearings and all, just all kinds of stuff, late night phone calls and having to sleep at my house and this young man and just praying over his life and believing for more, but he just had no example, so he struggled to understand the unconditional love of a father. What was his context? There was a struggle and I believe that so clearly why the psalmist says in Psalm 68, he says something so important that I want you to hear today. Psalm 68, verse 5. Scripture is available in the notes. It's available in the side uh, portion there. But Psalm 68, verse 5 says, Father of the fatherless 
and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. See, God is the ultimate model of fatherhood for a wounded generation. This is an everyone issue. If you thought, well, this isn't really about me, this is an everyone issue. Either you might have had a father and there's, there might be wounds. You might have not had a father and there's wounds. You might need healing. You might need an example. Like, you might have had a great dad. God is still a better example, right? There's, like, nothing that's detached. You might be a father. You might want to be a father. You might be uh, a woman in, you know, watching online who had a father, did not have a father, or desires to someday marry if you're a young woman and, and have kids and you desire someone to be a father, right? It touches every life. And so that's why I really believe, as we talked about being a child of God last week, we now need to talk about how God wants to heal you of the wounds of fatherhood from your past and guide you in the hope for your future. He wants to heal those wounds from the past, and he wants to guide you and remove worry from fatherhood in the future. God today wants to redefine fatherhood for you through Scripture. There's a new standard of fatherhood, and it's, been, it's the old standard, and it's the right standard, and that's the Heavenly Father. Maybe you never had one. Maybe you're afraid to be one. Whatever it might be. The more you understand the Heavenly Father, the more you will be healed of wounds and released of worry. So I want to redefine fatherhood together. I'm going to toss out a lot of scripture. We're not just uh, going more, you know, expository through one. We're going to walk through a lot of scriptures that define elements of God. So I want to encourage you, if you have your phone, take notes. If not, the notes are available in the comments if you're watching on our streaming with us. But I want to outline some things that the heavenly father is. So when I say father in these moments, I'm saying your heavenly father, God. In the Trinity, there's father, son, Holy Spirit, father, God. First thing is, your father will never leave you. Your father will never leave you. Your heavenly father will never leave you. Deuteronomy 31, 6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. It's agonizing to live in suspense if your father will be there or not. It's interesting is my wife and I have been working on adoption. We've been studying abandonment. Uh, most of you have just been studying, you know, how does the mind work in, in that feeling of being lost and being left or feeling unwanted or, or feeling these things. And we've been studying together, okay, what, what, what does that mean for our son? Because in the reality is my son and I, we look different. Like, he's going to know. <laughs> now, I could go outside and tan for a while still. He's going to know. We look different. And uh, I love him, but he's going to have questions about what that means and his worth and his value. See that, And so we spend a lot of our time building safety and security for our son so that he feels secure that we're there, that we will not leave, that he never has to think in his life that he's going to show up one day and I'm just going to be gone. But there is a security in fatherhood because good fatherhood is security. I don't want my son to feel like I'm going to sneak out on him or I'm going to leave him or I'm going to abandon him. God will never leave you in suspense. Hear me. God will never leave you in suspense. God will never abandon you. You never have to ask God, are you going to stay or are you going to go? You never have to drive home hoping that he's there. You never have to wonder if he's going to 
leave. God is always there. In fact, John 14, 16 says this. Jesus says, and I will ask the Father, your heavenly Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the triune God. It says God, the Father, is going to send the Holy Spirit. Why? So that he can be always with you. When we say the Holy Spirit is indwelt, it means that God is literally with you, in with you, living with you, indwelt within you all the time. Everywhere you go, he goes. The Holy Spirit will never leave you. God will never leave you. Psalm 139 says this. I, I love how the psalmist puts it. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. If you suffer from earthly abandonment, then you need a heavenly father to instill within you the principle of trusting that God will never leave you. Your heavenly father will never leave you. He is not going anywhere. Your heavenly father will never leave you. Some of you, you're thinking, uh, you don't know my dad. I wish my dad would have gone because he was that kind of person. And this is important. Not only will your heavenly father not leave you, your father will protect you and not abuse you. See, some fathers hurt instead of helping. They bring pain instead of protection. Matthew 7, 9, in describing fathers and in describing the father, God says this. It says, which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? Some of you are like, man, praise God. God is such a good father. And some of you, you're still stuck on that bread will give him a stone line because you're like, whose father would give him a stone instead of bread? My father, right? Some of you are like, that sounds like the exact brutal, mean, mean-spirited, mean-hearted thing my dad would do, right? You have wounds from abuse because some fathers are brutal and abusive. So it becomes difficult then to comprehend a God who protects when you came from an unprotective home, from an unsafe home, ruled by fear. But you need to hear me say today, that is not who God is. God is not a God of ruling by chaos and fear and brutality and harm and hurt and abuse. God will always protect and will never abuse you. 1 John 4, 18, this is the kind of love it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. There's two kinds of fear that are important to understand. There is the fear of God, which is a healthy reverence and understanding his greatness and his goodness, and that he is mighty and he is holy, and we are not. Then there is the kind of fear where we are so afraid of being punished, of being hurt, of being abused. That's the kind of fear he's talking about. See, God's love is perfect, not broken. It doesn't abuse. In fact, even when it has to correct and guide and discipline, it does not punish. Proverbs 3.12 says he reproves in love, meaning he corrects and guides. Even when, he, even when he's guiding, even when he's correcting, he does so in love. This is the love that God has. 1 Corinthians 3, 13, sorry. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Here's what it says. You might have heard this at a wedding. You might have heard this, you know, shared over someone's life. This is important. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. 
It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily anger. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. In verse 7, if you have your Bible, open up 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7, and underline, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. perseveres. This is important. Love always protects. Let me say again. Love always protects. God is a father of comfort and protection, not of terror and abuse. He cares for you. He is compassionate towards you. He will not abuse you. He will not hurt you. He will not come against you in harm. God is a God. He is a father of comfort and protection, not terror and abuse, because he cares for you. He cares for you. Think about that for a second. God, the almighty God, infinitely cares for you. This is why it's important. The third thing is that your father knows your needs. 16 million children in America struggle with food security, which means that if you're watching online and you're in this country, it is very likely that at some point in your life you struggled with food security. And I don't say that to shame you or, or to, to create a sense of otherness, but to say that in a world where your needs should be seen, cared for, known, taken care of, provided for, that though it might have been that your earthly family didn't or was not able to care for those needs, you have a father who sees and knows and cares for those needs. And this is not about your earthly father. This is about your heavenly father right now, is that your heavenly father knows your needs. It might be hard for you to believe that, that God sees you, that God cares about your needs, and that God's faithful to provide. But it's important. Your father is faithful and able to provide. Your father knows your needs. I love Psalm 50, uh, verse 10. It says, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle of a thousand hills. That's like a really big flex. It's the way of God saying like, listen, I own the cattle of a thousand hills, which is like saying infinite wealth. I have infinite provision. I have an infinite amount of provision. Well, what's amazing is God doesn't just have the ability to provide for your needs. He is faithful to provide for your needs. And not only is he faithful to provide for your needs, but he loves providing for you. You, as it turns out, are valuable to him. You're more valuable than anything. He sent his son for you, to die for you, because you are more valuable than anything in the world. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. That's important right there. Through Jesus, God has not left us wanting. He gives us provision now. He cares for us now. But he's also given us the provision of an eternal home that Jesus went to prepare for us so that we will live eternally, never in want, never in pain, never in hunger, never in abuse, never in sorrow, always in joy, always in provision, always in hope. There is an eternal home. Jesus promised it. 
He said, John 14, 1, he said, do not let your hearts be troubled to his disciples. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would not have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may be where I am. See, your father provided for your eternity through Jesus, but he also provides for your life with tender care. Your earthly family may not have cared for your needs or you may not have felt like they they did or were able to care, but God cares for you. You are worth caring for. Because we go one step further. Not only does he know your need, your father takes delight in you. This is important. God loves you. Your father takes delight in you. This is the major struggle of the fatherless generation is this idea of worth. When there's no earthly father example, there's a struggle, there's a proven struggle to understand your worth. Some of you, you, your father was physically present, but he was not emotionally present. And so there wasn't that validation. There wasn't that feeling like you were enough. No matter what you did, no matter what you earned, no matter how you, how you stepped up and got good grades and got a great job, it just there was never enough. There was not the emotional support and encouragement. So you've always felt attached. So the idea that God would somehow be delighted in you is such a foreign idea. And maybe some of you, because you didn't get the approval, you acted out and you thought, listen, my, my dad doesn't even like me. He doesn't like the way I dress and why I act. He doesn't, he doesn't like who I am, who I'm becoming. He just doesn't really like me. And so you think in turn, God must not really like me. Right? I was just part of some package deal of salvation. It was like Jesus died for a bunch of good people, and I got slid in there in the lower stack of options that he had to. But listen, God likes you. And that's crazy. God, we say, God loves you. God loves you, and he actually likes you. He actually delights in you. He actually cares about you. You're a big deal to him. He actually cares about your life. He cares about what you do. He cares about spending time with you. He intimately cares if, about you. And it's not because of what you do. It's not because of something you've earned. It's because of who you are. You are his child. You don't have to earn his love. You don't have to earn his affection. You don't have to get his attention. You don't have to earn his approval. Maybe your earthly parents never gave that to you, but listen, God delights over you as his child. Zephaniah 317. I know you might, be, might not heard a verse from Zephaniah for a while, but Zephaniah 317 says, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. It says he will take great delight in you. It says, in his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Think about that for a second, that God sings over you. That is like an intimate, fatherly thing right there. That is a delight thing. You don't sing songs over people that you don't even like, right? God delights in you. Let that inform your identity for a second, that God delights in you. John 17, 23, when Jesus is praying in the garden, he says this. He's praying to God. Jesus says, I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. He says, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Listen to this. God loves you as he loves Jesus. If you are his, you are loved. Hear me, if you are 
his, you are loved. You're like, nah, man, you don't know me. You don't know my life. You don't know what I've been through. Listen, if you are his, you are loved. Yeah, but what about the sin in my past? If you're his, you're loved. Yeah, what about these things I've been facing and walking through? Listen, if you are his, then you are loved. If you are a child of God, then you are loved by God intimately, personally, not as part of a group deal. You are his, then you are loved. Why? Because my final point, the Father's love, your Father loves you unconditionally. One more time. Your father loves you unconditionally. This might be the hardest one to grasp, if we were being honest. Because it's easy to understand this theory of love or this idea of love we have. It's culturally, we've made love like this junk drawer that we just kind of bulk scoop every emotion we're not sure what to do with into and kind of mix it all up and then pull out something and hope it works. But love is a powerful thing. This is way beyond any small concept of love. This is great and deep, unconditional, would do anything, would sacrifice anything for you kind of love. But it's hard if you came from a home with conditional love. And it's really hard if you came from a home with no love. Or if you came from a home where love was twisted and abused and was not secure. Because then you grow up so often, and we counsel so many people that grow up with this mentality. They say, if I was blank, then I would have been loved. If I wasn't fill in the blank, then I would have been loved. If I wasn't like this, then I would have been loved. I would have been worthy of love. Because those wounds of fatherhood have become strongholds and footholds of the enemy to speak against your identity. Because your father or someone spoke into your life that you're a screw-up, you're a loser, you're a failure, that you're nothing. You begin to blame yourself and speak to your identity. And so because of that, I say, God loves you. He loves you unconditionally. You're like, man, I, I, can't, approach, I can't approach God. I can't approach the father. The fathers are not safe. But listen, God loves you because he loves you. God never changes. does not matter the sin. does not matter the shame. It does not matter the brokenness. God loves you because he loves you. So often we're afraid to approach God because in our earthly example, we were afraid to approach our Father. You might have been afraid by your earthly example to share a brokenness or a hurt and pain in your life because there would have been shame or abuse. But here is what Scripture says about the Lord. Psalm 34, verse 5. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. I'm reminded of the prodigal son. And the prodigal son is this amazing story that Jesus tells to teach about the love of the father. And if you go back and listen to our pursuit series, you can you can watch it and you can hear uh, the message on it. But there's this moment where the son has taken all of his wealth and squandered it. Now he wants to come back home to his father and thinks, man, I'm just going to come back and be a servant. But the father sees him a long way off and he runs to him and he runs after him and embraces him. And here's what happens just right in that moment as the father is embracing his son who is finally home. It says, the son said to the father, father, I have sinned against heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, look, he doesn't even like acknowledge that. It's so ridiculous to him that, that he doesn't even acknowledge. He says, listen, I'm not here to bring shame. Here's what I am here to bring you. He says, the father said to his servants, quick, 
Bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fat calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. I've heard it said, and I want to say it to you. There is more mercy in God than sin in you. You're like, there's a lot of sin in me. Well, trust me. <laughs> there is more mercy in God than there is sin in you. Romans 5, 6 says, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for their ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. It says, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love, the heavenly Father's love for you is unconditional. You are loved. You are worthy of love. I love the song, How Deep the Father's Love. And this, the, the first verse says this. I want to read it to you today. It says, How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. The father's love is unconditional, and he showed it to you through Jesus on the cross. In the death and resurrection of Jesus, he looked at you and he said, listen, I know your father on earth might not have been the example of unconditional love, and I know there needs to be healing, but let me redefine it to you right now by the sign of a cross and an empty grave. The cross and the empty grave are the redefinition of fatherhood in your life, that the father's love is unconditional. Your father might have abandoned you. Your heavenly father will never leave you or forsake you. Your father might have abused you. Your heavenly father will always protect and always comfort you. Your father might have neglected you, but God will always see, know, and care for your needs. Your father might have never have accepted you, but your heavenly father delights in you as his child. Your father might not have loved you as he should, but your heavenly father loves you unconditionally. And today he is inviting you to that love to walk in that freedom, to live with that hope. And if you're a father here today, he's inviting you to lead your family in it. Psalm 68.5 says, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. I believe today that God wants to heal you of the wounds of your past and guide you with hope for the future. He wants to heal you of your fatherhood wounds as you lay them at his feet. And he wants to take away the fear and the worry for those who struggle with how they're going to live as a father or maybe even the mistakes you've made as a father. And he wants to bring you into a deeper relationship with him. Can I tell you today is the best day to begin the journey of redefining fatherhood. Healing can happen in a moment, and I'm going to believe when we pray in a second that God is going to heal your heart. But can I tell you that trust is a journey? And how you build trust today is that you begin a relationship with Jesus by surrendering your heart to him. You release the old bondage and the pain and the unforgiveness and the hurt 
and you lay it at his feet 100% and you allow him to heal you. Psalm 34 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and save those who are crushed in spirit. Listen today, God is ready to heal you of the hurt in your past and give you hope for the future. If you are ready to take that hurt and that pain from your earthly father or from others or your life and to take all of that and lay it before your heavenly father. Why carry it one more step? Why carry it out of your house? Why carry it around your living room? Take that hurt and that pain and lay it before your heavenly father and be healed today. If you make that choice, I believe God's going to do a miracle in your life. I pray two things as we close today. If you said yes to Jesus, or if you would like to say yes to Jesus, I believe this is an important crossroads for you. If you have never chosen Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then this is the moment. See, the way to the Father is through the Son. So if you want the Heavenly Father and the example and the miracle and the hope and healing, then it begins with the simple step and the simple first yes of saying, Jesus, I need salvation. I need you. I cannot be Lord of my life. I need you to be Lord of my life. I need healing. I need a miracle. There's these wounds that I cannot self-help my way through. I need you, Jesus, to do a miracle in my life. And so I'm going to choose to say yes to you. And if you make that choice, not only do you secure your eternity, but right now he's going to affect your identity, bringing you as a child of God and restoring and redeeming and redefining fatherhood in your life. So if that's you, and you're ready to say yes to Jesus, you can comment, you can click, you can like all those things. We have people available. We have prayer available. But I want to pray for you right now. So wherever you are, if that's you, I just want to pray over you. Close your eyes. Bow your head. If you're walking, maybe keep them open. It doesn't matter. It's wherever you can focus to the Lord. And I'm going to pray over you. And I want you to agree with me today. And as you say yes to Jesus, you're going to begin that first step. Let's pray together. Jesus, I lift up everyone right now in this moment who is debating making the most important decision of their life. I pray right now in the name of Jesus, I pray you would stir their heart. Holy Spirit, stir their heart. Jesus, for everyone who has felt distant from a father, everyone who has felt in brokenness and sin and in shame and in worry and concerns for their future and uncertain of their eternity and who just desires right now for you to do a miracle in their life, for you to do something powerful in their life to heal them, to bring healing for their past and hope for their future. I pray over them right now. I pray right now that they would say yes to you. And if you are willing to say yes to Jesus, I just want you, wherever you are, to repeat after me. Say, Dear Jesus, I give you my life. Thank you for dying for me. I choose today to follow you with all my heart. Amen. Second thing I want to pray for you this morning before we worship, and I encourage you, this is going to be important. As we worship, God is going to minister to your heart, so do not click away. Instead, press into Jesus in this moment. It's going to be powerful for your life, so don't get distracted. Press in, but I want to pray one more thing as we close, and this is anybody who has 
who desires healing for the wounds of their past and desires hope for their future, specifically when it comes to fatherhood. Maybe you're a young father who's concerned about and worried about your future because you don't have that example. Maybe you have hurts from your past. Maybe you have done things as a father that your heart aches over, but right now I believe God wants to heal you, so I'm going to pray for you in this place. Wherever you are, bow your head, close your eyes. I want to pray over you one last time before we worship together and pray, Dear Jesus, I lift up every heart to you right now. You see every heart. You see every person person. You see every life. They are precious to you. You are the father that will never leave. You are the father that will always protect. You are the father that will always provide. You are the father that delights in us. You are the father that loves us unconditionally. And so I pray right now a mighty healing by the power of the Holy Spirit through the blood of Jesus Christ over every single person right now who has wounds of fatherhood in their life, whether it be absentee or abuse or whatever it might be. God, I pray right now for a radical and complete healing of their mind, of their body. If there's physical results of abuse, I pray healing in the name of Jesus over them. If there's spiritual results in rejecting God, I pray healing in the name of Jesus. If there's emotional pain and hurt, I pray right now amending and a healing of the heart and the mind and the spirit in the name of Jesus. We pray over every life. We pray over every person, and I pray that right now you would do a miracle in their life, that they would receive healing from their past in the name of Jesus, healing from their past wounds in the name of Jesus, and they would receive right now in this moment a great spirit and awakening and a power of hope for their future in the name of Jesus over their life by the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray it over you. I pray over your family, young fathers. I pray over your children. I pray over the opportunity and the platform that you have in this moment, and I pray, God, that right now you would move in their lives. You would stir in their future, and so, God, we pray just a mighty movement of your spirit right now in the name of Jesus. I lift up every person, I pray, as we go from this into worship. I pray that we would not get distracted. I pray that the enemy would not uh, take our mind and our heart and our eyes away, but we would just press into this moment and worship, and we would receive what you have for us in a great and mighty, powerful way today. In Jesus' holy name, all God's people said, amen. Let's worship together.